Welcome to That Good May Become with me, Laura Scappatici, where we learn to illuminate the esoteric in our everyday lives. Hello, everybody. It's Laura, and we are here to disrupt materialism together by seeing the other side of life, the life that isn't quite as tangible as the food on our tables and the furniture in our houses. It's the side of life that gives us impressions of maybe what's to come or what's happening in the moment or how we should be as a human being. And that's what this podcast is about. And that's what this season is focused on. We are using the book, How to Know Higher Worlds by Rudolf Steiner. And I am so grateful. I'm so grateful this morning. I just got up a little while ago and just had my hands on my heart and was just thinking of how lucky I am to be able to create this podcast and share it with you. And I'm so grateful for all the pictures and comments that you've been sending me. And I will be sharing those in the Instagram post. Uh, I, I have this question for you. Are you noticing anything? Those of you that have been doing the book with me, is there anything that any impressions or changes in yourself that you're noticing? Uh, remember, no fantasy, or remember how he says that, but anything you're more sensitive to or more aware of, I'd really love to hear that. So message me, tell me, send me pictures of you reading the book or listening, and I just appreciate it so much. You know, the other thing is like, how does it feel for you when you read this book or you listen to the quotes? Someone once said to me that it was like, drinking a really refreshing drink, like something that really nourishes you and you can kind of feel it go all through your body and into your cells. What is it like for you when you read Steiner? I know like in the beginning for me, it was very challenging and I was so glad to have a group of people to read it with, but does it, does it give you a certain feeling when you're reading those words? Just wondering. All right. So here we go. Chapter seven. Can you believe we're on chapter seven? We're like on the latter half of the book now. And this is about changes in the dream life of the esoteric student. So in the beginning, you know, or like now, <laughs> and I had dreams last night and I can't really remember them. I know my sister-in-law was in it in Southern California. Um, they're muddled dreams and they begin to become more orderly as you do this this training and you work on these aspects of yourself and the images connect in a meaningful way. So they used to be like echoes of daily life. For example, <laughs> especially if you watch television before you go to bed, television, who says television, especially if you watch something before you go to bed, like we watched an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Don't get me started on that show. I love it so much. Um, and Buffy was driving or somebody was driving an RV in it. And then like, that night I had this dream that I had to drive this car and um, I wanted the person in my that used to be in the job I'm in now to drive the car, <laughs> which is really funny because I didn't feel capable of driving the car. And um, then I woke up and, you know, in the car like was going to crash and I was responsible for people. And then I woke up and I was like, oh my God, that was like really an intense dream. And I was like, oh, I watched Buffy. Now, there was probably some other stuff that was symbolic in there. 
obvs. I'm sure you're getting that. Uh, but it it really had to do with what I just saw. So it used to be, and, and even the stuff that was more symbolic, it was still sort of an echo of my daily life. And now we're going to have images as we go through this training that arise out of the spiritual world. Still some symbolic early on, but it, it starts to change. And I've had this happen when I'm deeply working with my spiritual practices, that the quality of my dream life has changed. He uses the word mystics here on page 152, which I really enjoy. I just think that's such a, a great word. And he says, you know, don't just take these dreams as authority. They're actually just the first signs of development. So we're still like in baby step situation here where we're we're just at the beginning. There's so much more that's going to open to us, which is why we need all this preparation. Okay, what's the result of this work? This is so cool. We begin to remain awake in the full sense of the word during our dream life. That is, we begin to feel ourselves lords and masters of our pictorial representations. We're like in charge. And I think, you know, there's this concept of lucid dreaming. And I think that is kind of connected to it, but even past that. How do we get there? We need those spiritual organs that we talked about in chapter six, those lotus flowers, those chakras that we developed to truly understand our experiences there, to inscribe them, to remember them, to work with them. So obviously, I'm not quite there because I don't really remember my dream from last night. Here are the steps. Thank goodness. He's always given us some good steps here. Thanks, Rudolf Steiner. Okay. Become conscious of what we observe in waking life. Do you remember this from the last chapter? And my friend um, Michelle sent me some comments on this that I'll hopefully get to later. But, you know, you, you're supposed to just be able to focus on what you want to focus on. And that's it. And that's that's an intense proposition right there <laughs> to be able to just just be focused on the thoughts and ideas and actions and what's in the sense world around you that you want to focus on. So if we are observing less, if we're focused, I think this step is probably easier to become conscious of what we observe in waking life because we're going to have more of a focus on what we're observing. Once we can do this, we must be able to carry this consciousness of dream observations into our ordinary waking state. Here's the quote. In other words, our attention for spiritual impressions must be so developed that these impressions no longer vanish in the presence of physical impressions. Rather, we must be able to have both types of perceptions at the same time, side by side. So we are going to be able to be awake and see, have the spiritual impressions and have the physical impressions and have that focus that we want at the same time. So it's not like we're just going to be in the sense world. This is a disrupting materialism kind of thing. We are also having these spiritual perceptions at the same time. Okay. We understand that what exists in the spiritual world is the cause of what exists in the physical world. And remember, you know, from the last chapter, we need that higher self that he talks about to really be able to do this. We're going to get that everything in the sense world 
exist is the cause. Actually, let me say it again. Understanding that what exists in the spiritual world is the cause of what exists in the physical world. Here's what we need to consider. We need to consider that our higher self is a real being. And this really touched me because I thought, this is something I can carry around with me when I'm just confronting challenges in daily life. We must immerse ourselves more and more in the idea and living feeling that our physical body and what we used to call our self are really only instruments of the higher I. In this way, we begin to develop a relationship to our lower self that is like the relationship those who live only in the sense world feel toward their tools and vehicles. I love him. He's so practical. He's like giving us something we can relate to. Just as we do not think of the car we drive as part of our I, I mean, maybe some people do, depending on the car they have, (laughs) but you don't consider that a part of your body and self, right? Even though we may say, I drive or I travel, so the words, I go in through the door, now come to mean for those who have developed themselves. I take my body through the door. Do you see the difference there? It's we we understand that our body is carrying or our higher self is moving our body through the world and that our body is again it's the vehicle so even if I would say okay I'm 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 driving here it's actually we know the car is driving. So I know my physical body is going to take me somewhere, but that I, this higher I, this part of me is actually the thing that's in charge. Does that make sense? I think it's a really beautiful image if for me to work with, just to remember that. And as you relate to that more and more, it becomes the way you live. Like you, you understand that in all your actions, that there's this higher self present. All right. He does say like, we got to stay grounded. And Steiner always says this. He's always like, be nice, listen, and stay grounded. Yeah. So we can't lose our footing. Um, We can't just drift off into the spiritual world because we have this higher self and just live there. No. We must take great care. This is page 155. We must take great care that our experience of higher consciousness does not impoverish our life in the physical world, but enriches it. So we'll have a richer a richer life in the physical world if we have this spiritual peace to it. I just think of people that walk around and just delight in what they're seeing in the world. They're just like, oh, look at that sunset or, oh my goodness, look at that flower or, oh, that child, it's so, or, oh my gosh, did you see that dog? Like, or, mm, this food is so good. Like those people have, or the people I'm thinking about, some of them are like those um, helpers of the world and humanity. They really get the beauty and spiritual essence of everything that is sensory around them and enjoy it and relish in it. And they do that from a, from a place of higher self, not from a place of also like in the last chapter, like cravings or things like that, or desires. It's just an appreciation. So here's another couple quotes that I thought were very 
Beautiful. Uh, but first, you know, he says the spiritual organ near the heart, the one that we heard about in chapter seven, that's the key to these perceptions, these perceptions of understanding. The spiritual is what creates and informs the physical. It is the heart that's the key to these perceptions, along with those etheric streams. And he says it acts like the sunshine that allows us to see with our visible eyes. So, you know, we can see everything on earth because the sun is shining. So we can see everything in the spiritual world because we have these streams of light that make through the heart chakra that make things visible. How nice. And here's the quote, an object in the spiritual world can arise only if we ourselves shed spiritual light upon it. So we have to cultivate that light in ourselves to be able to perceive the spiritual world around us. And here's a most poignant quote to ponder on page 156. As human beings, however, our task is to bring higher spiritual realities into relationship with the physical world. Humanity, indeed, is the means by which the spirit penetrates the physical realm. So humans have a very special place in this. And I love this in the spiritual philosophy. It's not like shed your mortal coil, you know, kind of thing, or here are these other beings and they're better than you. It's like, no, humanity has a role here. And it's the means by which the spirit penetrates the physical world. So we we have a job here. And Steiner definitely talks about the task of humanity in other books and in other places. And maybe I'll take on one of those talks, lectures that he did, or another book at another time to talk about the task of humanity. Uh, But these are the first steps to understanding that. The result of this heart organ perception and understanding, what's the result? Well, as spiritually developed persons, however, we now feel ourselves as if united with the spiritual objects we perceive, as if we were inside them. Whoa, that's pretty intense, right? And and what does that mean? And mm, I feel like maybe I've had some encounters like that in nature. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I guess I'm still a wanderer, which is what he talks about next. He says, at this stage, we are wanderers and we're going from place to place in spiritual space. Uh, We can't really define what we see, though we can see it. So we're we're having these sort of spiritual perceptions and seeing things, but we, we can't define them yet. And he asks us to define our spiritual home. He says, like, if you're from Berlin, you're going to describe London differently than someone from London would describe London, right? So he says, what we need to do is build this spiritual home for ourselves. And he calls it building a hut. And I don't know that much about building a hut. Maybe some people do. I have heard like some anthroposophists talk about this. But please tell me more if you have a strong sense of this building a hut. I'd love I'd love to know. All right, now he's going to give some examples of the spiritual forces in everyday objects. And I love this chapter because it takes us back to all those practice exercises he was telling us to do. Crystals have a spiritual force that is sort of like the instincts at work in human beings. Similar forces likewise draw the sap through the vessels of a plant, unfold its blossoms, and burst open its seeds pods. Okay, first of all, I've never really thought of those forces. (laughs) And that there are forces that 
draw the sap through the vessels of a plant, fold its blossoms, and burst open its seed pods? Cool, duh. Of course there's a force at work there, but it's invisible, right? So I'm not like super focused on it. I'm like, ooh, this this flower smells so good, or oh, look at all these seeds all over, so cool. But yeah, there are forces that make that happen. And these are kind of, he's making them akin to spiritual forces. At this stage, if we worked on this development, we can see not only the crystal or the plant, and remember, haha, we observed the plant, the crystal, seed, the animal, human beings with desires. We did that work earlier. Um, so we're not only just going to see the crystal of the plant, but also the spiritual forces associated with them. Here we go back to the tables and chairs, Steiner. Just, this is page 159, just as we see tables and chairs in the physical world, we can now see human and animal instincts, not simply manifested outwardly in behavior, but directly as actual realities. Indeed, the entire world of instincts, drives, desires, and passions is now seen to form an astral cloud or aura enclosing every human being and animal. Hmm. How about that? How about that ability to perceive? Anybody feel like they they have that? And I, I love this as a goal. We can notice the astral difference between a room filled largely with people oriented toward lower things and another containing those with higher aspirations. And I feel like I'm pretty sensitive to this. Um, maybe this is why I have a hard time in like casinos and I'm not judging casinos because that could be super fun, but it affects me in some way. And it may be, maybe it's just my like empathic nature. Maybe it's this, it's this perception differentiate between a room largely filled with people oriented toward lower things and another containing those with higher aspirations. And I guess you should be able to do this in any room you walk into. It doesn't have to be a casino. That's pretty like, low level perception, <laughs> but you can walk into two rooms that look exactly the same with people dressed the same way in each room and you would know what's going on. He also talks about towns and cities and universities. And I guess basically is what we call their vibe. He says is different and in, like the vibe it's imbued with something spiritual and we can, we can sense that. So an even higher result of this cool work is seeing astral counterparts and when we can see the astral, remember that's like the feeling realm, we can see like, you know, with human and animal instincts and passions, an action filled with love is accompanied by different astral phenomena than one rising out of hate. So when, when we can start to see that, we're going to see a different spiritual picture them one arising out of hate. Um, I mean, I think we know that, but we'll be able to perceive it with those spiritual eyes. So again, if you go back to those earlier chapters, you remember the observation exercise from the beginning where we observe someone with a wish, and then we observe someone with a wish or desire that's been fulfilled. Now we can understand why he started us off at that level, how to just get in an observation mode. And I think this is a really good way to work with anything we're trying to learn is just to observe without sympathy or antipathy, you know, without liking it or hating it, or without judgment, just observe. That's where he started us. Uh, he starts to get into what happens after death with unfulfilled desires on page 160. And he's basically saying that 
you know, if we crave things in life and we die, we can no longer satisfy the craving, right? And we sort of produce a particularly powerful, he says, counterpart, which can kind of torment us. Um, these, so if we, if we're just living in that sense space and just craving, craving, craving after we die, this astral counterpart can come up. Um, these things, these kinds of things after death are called the experiences of the soul, soul realm or the region of desire. And after death, we can purify them and then we can kind of move on to a higher realm. We, we could have, well, actually, if you go back to the earlier seasons of this podcast, I do a whole season on connecting with the dead and death and dying. I don't talk about this desire piece a lot. You should check out this section of the book for that. But um, he talks and talks and talks about what happens after death. And that could be another lecture I take on and we kind of read together. The astral counterparts, and I like this image, are weaker during life, but they follow us like the tail of a comet accompanies our core. So we can see these in others as we develop our capacities too, these astral counterparts that um, come from desires and uh, instincts and kind of follow us around. So to attain still higher spiritual experiences, we must ascend from this stage and climb yet further on the path. That's how he ends the chapter. So he's like, we have, we have more work to do. And obviously we do. This is a super short chapter. So message me. How does it feel? How does it feel to read or listen to these quotes? Uh, I would love to know what your experience is and to tune into that. Yeah. I'm just curious, what's it like for you? Pay attention to your dream life. Um, healthy sleep patterns help, uh, you know, help with this. And he he also talks about earlier, like you might eat something and that's going to mess with your sleep too. But you can start writing them down. Um, notice how much reflects the last episode of Buffy you watched and uh, what's different if you don't watch anything before you go to bed. <laughs> and when we're dreaming, we're in a different world. Um than the one revealed by the physical senses. And eventually, guess what? We're going to be able to remain awake there too. All right, send me your pictures, pictures of you with your headphones on or reading the book, and I will post those and tell me, tell me what it's like. Tell me what it's like to read Steiner or listen. All right, thanks for tuning in. Please share the podcast with those who you think might be interested, people you know that are seekers on the path and that just keeps it going. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.